0: found that video this week, uh, two of my favorite speakers uh, sharing their experience of the Bible, Francis Chan, Tim Mackey, I just love what those guys say about the Bible and I wanted to share that with you and that's really the aim of this series is to help you to, equip you to read the Bible, to meet with God yourself, to meet with your creator face to face, relating to him uh, in the relationship you are made for through his word and that's what we're doing in this series. Um, but let me step back, I'm, I'm Gav, uh, welcome to church, good to have you here. Big happy Father's Day to all dads in the room again. Hope you've had a, a good day so far and received lots of thanks and love. Uh, I'm pretty excited to share the Bible with you today. Um, one of the blessings of being a pastor is I get time to spend in the Bible myself, get excited, see what God says to me, and then I get to share it with you. And I, I, I'm genuinely excited to share with you um, from the Bible today. Uh, but it's not about me and my excitement, it's about the Bible and hearing God speak, so let's talk to Him together. I'll lead us in talking to God. And then, uh, and then we'll continue on. So Let's pray. God, you are, you are, you are far bigger than we can comprehend or understand. Uh, you love us deeply and you have written a book to reveal who you are and to relate to us day by day. I want to thank you so much. You do not remain distant or cold, but you come near. You've drawn near to us through your Son and in your Word. We want to pray now as we open your word that you would illuminate deep truths to us. You would just help us to have a perspective again of, of who we are in light of you and of eternity and a bigger narrative we're a part of. We want to pray, Lord, that you would just help our minds and our hearts to be still and to be addressed by you. Thank you that you are here this morning. You've gathered with us by your spirit. And Lord, just use me as your servant to speak only what you want me to say. Help me to get out of the way and for you to address our hearts and minds. It'll we long for you to speak this morning, It's what our soul longs for, with our busy minds, our worried thoughts, we want to just hear from our Creator, to be still and know that you are God. We pray that this morning, Lord, in Jesus' name, Amen. Well today, as you all know, it's Father's Day, uh, I have few, three beautiful children that are a blessing uh, to me hugely, I love being a dad. But today is not only Father's Day, it's a double celebration. Today is uh, mine and Katie's 12-year wedding anniversary today, right? Um, Yeah, time flies. Uh, 12 years. And as I look back on 12 years of marriage, it's interesting to think about what Katie and I were like before uh, we got married and how we both changed. And I think we've changed a fair bit. And uh, I think we've actually become more like each other. It's like I'm married to myself now. No, it's not. It's, um, I would hate that. That would be horrible, wouldn't it? But, um, but uh, we've definitely become more like each other. I'm way more uh, patient, uh, uh, less quick-tempered. I assume the best of people. I see other people's perspectives more. And that's all things that Katie is like. And being married to her has changed me in a really positive way. I also like to eat more olives and halloumi. Amazing, right? I didn't know these things. and you now Katie's shown me uh, this whole new world of food. Uh, and I also no longer use a handkerchief. Only tissues, because apparently hankies are gross. Um, Katie now enjoys sport, which I love. Uh, One of my proudest days is when um, Katie was in the car by herself, and she was listening to cricket, test match cricket on the radio. Wow. Yeah, thank you, Chris, right? So attractive right there, right? Wow. She also values high tea. Great, that's my doing. (laughs) Well, it should be her. Anyway, that's weird, isn't it? It should be her. (laughs) I'm okay with my masculinity. Anyway, um, uh, she also, I asked her. I said, "So, you know, how have, I, how have I changed you since being married?" I asked her this week, and uh, she now believes that it's because of me. It's okay to push yourself when exercising, even to the point of vomiting. <laughs> I've had a great impact on her. Uh, this, is, this, thing, this came about early on in our marriage. I coached her soccer team, and, uh, and I was coaching a team, and I we were driving her from training. And I may have been a little frustrated with the team. And I said, Katie, the girls in the team, they need to push themselves harder. They don't work hard enough at training. I think they need to push themselves to the brink of exhaustion, even vomiting. And uh, she just looked at me like, "This, who are you? What are you talking about? I was frustrated. I take it back. But she now believes it's okay to vomit when you exercise. <laughs> uh, but being married for 12 years, you can't help but become more like the other person. And today, as we mentioned, we are, we're in the third week of this, uh, well, the, we're doing a, a, a five, uh, it's been five weeks, but is sort of three block of, of the practical nature of how to read the Bible, getting really practical. Week one, we looked at um, reading the Bible prayerfully. Uh, last week, Jez looked at how to read the Bible rationally, uh, meditating deeply on God's truths. And today, we're going to look at how to read the Bible transformatively, or really obeying the Bible, obeying what God has said, in a way that transforms your life. And here's my sort of big idea that I want you to understand, say, get a, take away from, uh, this, from what I'm going to say. I want to say the purpose of Bible reading is to meet with God, to meet God and be transformed to be more like Jesus. That's what I'm going to say. The purpose of Bible reading is to meet God and be transformed to be more like Jesus. Now, I'm sure when you read the Bible, or just even you think about uh, what it means to be a Christian, you can't get past the fact that Christians are meant to live a certain way. Followers of Jesus are to follow Him, really. That means becoming more like Jesus in how we live. It means allowing Jesus to tell us how to live, how to interact with Him and others and in the world around us. It means submitting to His lordship, His rule, obeying His commands, about obedience, allowing Him to call the shots. And when you read the Bible, it's pretty clear. It's there. You can't read too far without reading a part of where Jesus calls His followers to live a certain way. So, they're surrendering your life and will over to Him. And now, that's hard. I want to be front with that. It's hard. None of us, including me, like to be told what to do or how to live by anyone. We all want to be in charge. We all want to call the shots. We all want to decide what to do, when to do it, how to think about things. And I don't know for a lot of us, it's a real wrestle it's this question of will i submit to jesus and his ways will i follow him or will i choose to do i want to do which is really the nature of sin though isn't it really will we follow him and obey him when he speaks into our relationships our sexuality how we handle our finances our time what we value what we live for who we listen to him or we listen to ourselves will we obey and it's a day by day wrestle and it will continue to be a wrestle until we meet Him in glory. But today, as I said, uh, being a follower of Jesus means following Him, and listening to Him, and obeying Him. And I want to show you how to do this, how to, how to do this in a way, how to read the Bible that way, it transforms you. And as I mentioned at the start, about Katie and I and changing, being more like each other, I want to say the more you spend time with someone, the more you become, become like them. So the more you spend time with God and His Word, the more you meet Him, the more you see Jesus... The more he's revealed in his word, the more we become like him, be transformed to his will and his purposes. As you see God, as you see who he is, what he is like, see his ways are good, the more you want to obey and be transformed and follow and have life to the full, as Jesus says in John 10.10. That's really what I want to try and show you and work you through today. But here are my points that I want to make today, try and walk you through this on the screen behind me. It's really who He is, what does He say, and why does He say it? Who He is, what does He say, and why does He say it? Now, looking at being transformed, uh, changing and obeying, and doing what God tells us, um, I think it's really important that we need to understand who God is. If we're going to follow Him, if if we're going to obey Him, we've got to understand what He is like. So I just want to think on what God is like for a bit, who He is and what He is like. And I wonder if someone was to ask you the question, someone who knows you're a church goer or you're, you, you, you've, you've been to church before, if they said to you, what is God like? I wonder how you'd answer that question. What words would you use if someone says to you, what is God like? And I think how you answer that question will impact whether you want to follow Him or not. How you see Him will impact how you want to obey Him or not. Think about someone you look look up to in life, a friend, a family member, a manager, a boss at work, a sporting hero, whatever. You want to listen to them, you admire them, you want to be like them. How do you view God? Do you know Him? Do you know what He's like? You know, one of the major things the Bible does, it reveals who God is. Primarily, and firstly, the Bible's about God, it's all about Him. You know, from the very first few pages, you read in the beginning, God. It's about Him. It's a book about Him, and we see in the very first few pages we read of God being an eternal being in the creation account, always existed, Father, Son, and Spirit. God in Trinity, perfect love, perfect union. In the very beginning, He's the one who is outside of time, who is eternal. Creates all things with just purely words, uh, with wisdom, with power. He speaks. And the creation just moves at his voice, commanding things to go place. He just speaks and it happens. That's power. That is authority. That is rule. He's the powerful one. He creates the world, but he also creates humanity. He creates you and I. And in Genesis 1:26 and 27, we read this. It says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens. And over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So he makes humanity, he makes you and I in his image, in his likeness. And no other creature is given that place or that honor apart from humanity. We are made like him to rule under him. He makes the whole world for us to enjoy. And he makes it good. And remember, I'm trying to paint this picture for you, what God is like here. We keep trying to listen to what God is like. He makes all types of food to enjoy, creation to enjoy, beaches, rainforests, animals for us to enjoy. He creates us and provides for our needs. And they aren't just our basic needs. He doesn't create just one type of food, or one type of tree, or just one animal. No, He provides us with abundance. He lavishes us with everything. He cares, He provides, He's thoughtful, He's generous. And this is the sort of God the Bible reveals who He is. And He makes us relational beings. He makes us for relationship with each other. Friendships and relationships to enjoy each other. He didn't have to do any of this at all. But He did, which shows His character. It reveals what He is like. And we see from the very beginning also that God is not distant creation account again adam and eve in the garden where's god he's dwelling with them he's walking with them in the garden with them he doesn't set the world up and step back and spin it and say good luck i'll see you later no he's there he's intimate he is close he's dwelling with them it shows this is the most important relationship we are made for is with god himself he created us as relational beings have a relationship with him He's all-powerful. He's all-supreme, the eternal one who made the world, who knows how it works. He gives the world meaning and purpose. He's the one with all authority. It's his world. And he made us with a purpose to know him, to be in an eternal relationship with him and then live in light of that relationship. And he cares for us and provides for us. And this is who God is. That's from the first few pages of the Bible. Uh, as you know, it's Father's Day, and I've been a dad for just over, over nine years now. My son, Jet, turned nine in July, and uh, so I've been a dad for just over nine years. I can still remember when Jet was born. This is a photo of when we first brought him home, just home from hospital. He was so little. And then uh, and, uh, India, our second child, this is a photo of her little foot in my hand when she was probably half an hour old at the hospital, and, uh, it's, and then Sav, I don't have a photo of her, she's third child. Um, <laughs> I, actually couldn't, I actually couldn't find one. She's great too, I'm sure she's great. No, she's, the uh, she's, uh, height's uh, she's worn off. She's, uh, she's great. I was just looking at her this morning and she was sitting playing Lego this morning with a bucket on her head. I don't know why, she just does that, things and that I enjoy that, that's sad for me, she's great, I, I, a lot of fun, having and I have together. But being a dad really changes you, it changes the way you, you view the world, you view everything. And um, before Jit was born, it made me reflect on, you know, you, 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 uh, Katie's pregnant, um, you just, you're not prepared, and so you think, what sort of dad do I want to be when, uh, when I have my firstborn child? And uh, it made me reflect on what my dad was like. And uh, my dad was a lovely, difficult Australian man, uh, but he was quite distant and quite reserved with his emotions, never had deep conversations with me. He showed his love by providing for us as a family, I guess. Um, I, knew, I knew that he loved me, he'd tell me he loved me, but he never really spoke about anything deep with me at all. I never had got a deep conversations. And so when I became a dad, I think through, what sort of dad did I want to be like? Um, I, wanted, I, wanted, I wanted to know my kids, help them grow and shape them emotionally, physically, and definitely spiritually. Um, I want them to make them feel safe and secure, knowing they are deeply loved, and, and they are loved, and that's a reflection of God's love for them. I want them to grow up to know Jesus. But being a dad is a hard job. Being a parent is a hard job. And I pray in God's strength that I can be the best dad that I can be. And I also know, though, being here and talking to people, that um, a lot of us don't have great dads. Some of us here have had horrible parents, Horrible fathers, and this is this is just so sad. But as you read the Bible, God is also called a heavenly dad, a heavenly father. And I know for some of us who have had parents that have, especially fathers who have been horrible, it's hard to connect with this idea of God being father. But I just want to show you just for a minute what God is like as a heavenly dad. And I just want to go to one story. Just keep revealing what God is like. I want to go to one story that shows, I think, what God is like as Heavenly Dad. And it's a story from, uh, from Luke, I think it's Luke 15, the parable of the prodigal son. And I love this story. And I'm sure if you know this story, the story goes like this Jesus tells it to reveal what God is like as Dad. And Jesus tells this story there were two sons, and they had everything. There was a the youngest son, oldest son, and the dad was there, and um, the dad provided everything for these, these children. And then one day the son comes, the younger son says to his dad, Dad, I want my independence, so give my inheritance now. Basically saying to, you, to your dad, I wish you were dead, give me your stuff and I'm out of here. And so the dad lovingly says, he allows him to go. And the story goes on and the, uh, the younger son quite quickly squanders all his money and is broke and finds himself trying to earn money by feeding pigs and he's so hungry, he looks at the food the pigs are eating and he thinks, I want to eat that. And then he thinks, what have I become? How did I get here? And so he hits rock bottom, then he thinks in his head, I'll go to my dad, and I'll beg for mercy and forgiveness, and I'll I'll ask my dad just to hire me as a hired hand. And I'm sure he'll treat me better than I'm being treated right now on this farm. And so he heads home. And I just want to read to you from Luke 15, but I want you to listen to what sort of dad the father is, because this is the dad that Jesus is saying that God is like. So listen to this on the screen. It says this. The son, it said he arose, the son arose. And he came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and he felt compassion. And he ran towards and embraced embraced his son and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, uh, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and the shoes on his feet and bring the and calf and kill, and let us eat and celebrate. For this son, my son, was dead and is alive. He was lost and he's found. And they began to celebrate. I don't know if you've if you got the, what, what is, the dad is like here. See the dad's response. And there's some, we're going to miss some of this because I think in first century, ancient Near East, dads don't run. <laughs> dads don't run. Running was a childish thing, a humiliating thing. So the father figures were very stoic and about uh, respect, and so they didn't want to show any emotion at all. But here the father is so overcome by love and compassion and happiness. At the sight of his child in the distance, he runs towards him. He pushes aside all cultural norms and embraces his son. And he shows this huge display of public affection for his child. He embraces him in Kissing him because his son's home. And this is all before the sons have been apologized. The son may have been coming home to tell his dad how she hates him, but no, no, he, the son hasn't apologized at all. The, son, the father runs towards the son and embraces him. And he gives then his rehearsed speech of Dad, I'm sorry, but it's like the father's not kind of even listening to what he's saying. He's like, No, no, I'm so overwhelmed. I'm gonna reinstate you as my son. You're not a hired hand. Your back is my son. And put the ring on his finger, the best robe. Let's have a huge feast because my son has come home. What is God like? He's like the loving father. The dad who is patient, who is kind, who is full of mercy, who is full of grace, and who loves us with a deep everlasting love. And this is the picture that Jesus tells us of what God the father is like. And Jesus ought to know it's his dad. He knows him. And we see this character of God displayed ultimately in the cross of Jesus Christ. The Father sends his son to die for us. John 3.16, for God so loved the world, so loved you and I, he gave his son to die on the cross, to take away our sin, to make us right, and to reinstate us as his children. God is the one who's acted, God is the one who found us when we were his enemies. And the cross shows us what God is like. Now, I know I've, I've dwelled on this point for a while, but I think it's so important when we think about obedience, when we think about transformation, that we have a right understanding of who God really is, as we read in the Bible, as it greatly affects if we obey Him and allow Him to transform us. God is the all-powerful one, with all authority, the ruler, the creator, who made all things, who gives us purpose and meaning. But He's also our loving Heavenly Dad, who is for us, who sought us, at the cost of his Son, who's on our side. So therefore, we can trust that whatever he says to us or how to live comes from a place of deep love and deep affection. That's what we keep thinking of when we think about obedience being transformed by God and obeying him. But now it's established, what what does God say to us? And this is my second point. As followers, we know we're called to grow in our relationship with God and but we don't have to guess how to live. We're not trying to do guesswork here because, as we know, God wrote a book. It's from Him, the Bible. And in this book, we can meet God and know more about Him, but also know what He calls us to be, what His desire for us is. And as His children, as followers, we need to listen to Him because we know He loves us and His ways are for our good and come from a place of love. And as you read the Bible... Uh, as, you, as you meet with God, he tells us how to live as his people and he's very, very clear of what we are to be. I just want to show you uh, that God expects us to listen and to obey in the passage that Jesus read for us before. I want to show you that again. It's coming to the screen behind us. Matthew 7. The context of this is important. Jesus has just given his Sermon on the Mount. His most famous sermon is saying, here's what it is to be like to be part of my kingdom, to be my people. And he goes through for two whole chapters and what it looks like to be his followers. At the very end of the sermon, he says this. This is the the climax, the conclusion of this sermon that Jesus gives. It says this, I'm going to start from 21. It says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? Then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on a rock. And the rain fell and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on the house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against the house, and it fell and great was the fall of it. Jesus is pretty clear on this, in this passage here. If you call Jesus Lord, you will obey. And you'll have a firm foundation that is like a house built on a rock. But if you hear these words of Jesus, you need to obey. It's like a warning from Jesus. In Luke 6.46, Jesus says, Why do you call me Lord and do not do what I tell you to do? I want to show you another passage from James so you get a really clear picture. James 1, 25. But be doers of the word and not only hearers, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he looks like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets but a doer who acts, he'll be blessed in his doing. God says it again and again. I speak and I expect my children to listen and to obey and to be doers of the word. That's what he says here. He's the one with all authority. The one full of mercy and love and grace. He expects us to, be, to obey and to be transformed by his words. To be doers of the word. He is our, our loving father who wants what's best for us. As I mentioned, three kids, Jet Indy Savannah, I know that I, they know that I love them lots, and I know they love me a lot. Let's just say I go to them, and I look in their bedroom, and it's messy. That's not a big stretch of the imagination, because it often is, <laughs> but it's messy, right? And I say to them, hey guys, clean your room. And they come back to me a few hours later, still with a messy room, nothing's been done. And they say, hey dad, I memorized what you said. You said, go clean your room. Now, I'm not going to say to them, good job, well uh, well done, guy, because they haven't done what I asked. They can memorize it all they want, but it hasn't led to action. Or they come and say to me, hey, Dad, uh, I learned how to say, go clean your room in Greek and Hebrew. Or they say, hey, Dad, me and my friends are going to gather every week on a a Tuesday night for a small group and sit around and try and discuss what it might look like if we were to clean our room. But did nothing about it. None of those responses for me as a father who loves their kids is going to work, is it? I'm saying, hey guys, I love you. It's best if you clean your room and I expect you to do it. Isn't that the same with God? God wrote a book to reveal who He is, to meet with us and guide us and tell us how to live and to flourish as His people. He expects us to listen, to obey and to be transformed by it. And that's his will for our lives, to be, made, to, be, to, to be who we're made to be, conform more and more in the likeness of Jesus. That's God's will for us, and it's his good will. I just want to show you one more passage from Romans 8.28, which I'm sure you would know, but we often forget Romans 8.29. It says this, and we, do, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for the good of those who are called according to his purposes. We love that, right? Great, he's working for my good. What is the good? For those though he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. The good that God is working for in our lives through all things is that we become more like Jesus, to be transformed, conformed to the image of Christ, to be children, to live out, to be who we're called to be, who we're made to be. And that transformation happens as we meet God in his word spend time with him, being reminded of who he is, and listening and obeying to what he calls us to do and to be. But why? Why does, why does God want to transform us by and through his word? For what reason? And I'm going to finish up with just two reasons for you. Two reasons. I want to show you why we're to be transformed and obey. And they are joy and mission. Joy and mission. Start with Joy. As we've seen God created the world and and he's, He's made it and He calls us how to live. And it's out of His love that He calls us to live a certain way so we can flourish. And So God's way of living is designed for us, is where true joy and satisfaction is found. If He is the one who designed the world, if He is the one who loves us, then living His way out of that love must be where satisfaction and joy is truly found. Where life to the full is found, where purpose and meaning is found. I want to say, have you, have you ever thought before, I think we can often think this, that God, maybe subconsciously, that maybe God wants me to be unhappy. Maybe God wants me to be miserable. Maybe he designed the way to live so I miss out on so much stuff. That's not who he is. He actually designed us to live in a way to be transformed for a way that will help us to flourish and to find satisfaction and joy. Here's another thought for you. I I, this is sort of a new thought for me in the past few years. God is the most happiest and joyful being in the universe. He is not mean, not a dictator. He's not trying to make us miserable. No, he's actually joyful and happy and, and the most happiest being in the universe. And he, in his joy, he invites us to follow him to, to, to experience that same joy and happiness. And we do this by meeting him, by following him, by coming to know him more and being transformed by him. I want to show you Psalm 19. Psalm 19 is a psalm written by someone who knows God, who's been transformed by him. And I, just want, to, I want you to listen about how this psalmist describes the Bible. And he's going to use words uh, like uh, the law, testimony of the Lord, precepts of the Lord, commandments of the Lord, all describing really what we would say the Bible is, right? So have a look at this. Psalm 19, I'm going to read it for you. Listen out how he describes it. He says, The law of the Lord is perfect, it revives the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. They are sweeter than honey also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant is warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. He's saying the Bible is perfect, it revives the soul. It is right, it gives rejoice to the heart. It is pure, it gives sight to the eyes. It's more desirable than gold, sweeter than honey. And by keeping these commands, your servant is warned. And in keeping them, there is great reward. What if you describe the Bible that way? Would you describe God's, uh, God's commands that way? saying there is joy to be found in them. What's what God promises. That's what the psalmist says. Obedience is where joy is found. But secondly, uh, we are transformed by God to show the world how good he is for mission purposes. The passage we get, the word City like the name of this church, City like comes from Matthew 5. Matthew 5, then 16, it says this, You are a light of the world, a city that cannot be hidden. Nor do we people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand it gives light to the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. As you meet with God, as you become more like Him, we are transformed like Jesus. As we obey joyfully, we are then showing God to a watching world around us. Showing those around us uh, how to love and to, and to feel and to be, and experience God's love in Christ. Showing those around us have a relationship they're all cr- actually longing for and craving. As we do this, we're living out a purpose to glorify God and to reflect Jesus in a world that is just desperate to know. Join and mission and the purpose of obedience. So I just want to encourage you, as you read the Bible, as you go to the Word, as you meet with God, I want to say, remember who He is what he is like, and allow him to transform you. Be ready to be transformed to to see what he says to you and to work in your heart to become more like Jesus, to obey. Read the Bible, meet him face to face, listen and obey. His words truly are what your soul longs for and his ways are good and life is found in them. That's what he says. Read the Bible transformatively. That's what we are called to do. But next week, we, uh, we jump into, really, the what of the Bible, which is really this. We're going to start up here, and in nine weeks, we're going to make our way right to the end. And we're going to see how it's all, it's all about Jesus, and it all, all culminates in Him. But so I just want to say, I want to finish with this. I want to say, like Jez said last week, if you haven't been reading the Bible for a while, if, you haven't, if you've tried and it's too hard, or you've never tried before, can I encourage you to give it another go? I was talking to a guy, not last week, but before, had a coffee with a guy, he's been struggling in his faith. And, uh, and we've been, we were chatting, and he said, I haven't been in the Bible for a while. He said, I used to read it, I used to really enjoy it, don't read it anymore, find it too hard, I don't know what to do. And it was affecting his life, and he was making silly decisions, that he could, he could he could see what he was doing, but his heart wasn't there. And so we chatted and I encouraged him to forget the past, forget the last few months, and just to start over again. That every day is a new day. God's is on you each morning, a do-over each day. I said to him, just aim for five minutes. Just aim for five minutes. And when you do get there for five minutes, see it as a victory. Celebrate it, that you're meeting with your God. Let go of any guilt or shame or expectations or I should be reading for an hour or half an hour. If I don't get there, then it's no don't get an hour, it's no point. Just get there for five minutes and see as a victory. And have that mindset. And is a new day. Start again. And he texted me a few days later saying, or a week later saying he's given it a shot and how much better he's feeling. He's actually enjoying God again. It's aiming for five minutes and he's starting to he's starting to walk in the path of, of what he should as a follower of Jesus. And it's been a great thing a church in Melbourne that coined the phrase which I really like regarding Bible reading they say win the day getting the Bible meeting with your creator, listening to him is winning the day I want to encourage you tomorrow to win the day I'm going to be praying for you all that you win the day tomorrow that you meet with your creator, that you listen to him and you meet with him and you understand his purpose for your life and therefore you win the day and every day is a new day. Start again every day. Whether it's five minutes and then build on that, whatever it is, for letting go of the guilt and the shame and the failure that is there and go again and each day win the day and meet with your God. I encourage you to do that. I'm going to pray for that right now. Father, you, you love us with a deep everlasting love that often we forget. Father, we want to pray and thank you that you know us and you aren't distant, but you are close and you have revealed yourself in your word. You wrote a book to meet with us. Lord, we want to pray that for wherever we're at with you right now, how we're feeling about you right now and meeting with you, that you would just clean the slate. We love that Jesus, you nailed all our shame and guilt on the cross and it has been dealt with and it is no more. Help us to live in light of that truth. And to start again tomorrow and win the day. Help us to meet with you. It's what our souls are longing for. We get so distracted. We get so discontent. With so many things in our lives that we forget you. Lord, we want to pray for tomorrow. that We'd start again and we would meet with you. And you would just right-size our, our, our understanding of where we're at in this life. Of the bigger picture we're a part of and how much we are loved, and we would live in light of that truth. So Lord, tomorrow, for all of us, we want to pray that we win the day and spend time with our Creator and listen and obey. Thank you so much that every day is a new day and your mercies are on you each morning. Thank you for Jesus, our Saviour, King and Friend. Amen.